Father. Father's Day is a special time to recognize the fathers in the congregation. And uh, we have a special gift for the dads, but in order to really appreciate the gift that we have for the fathers, I have to give you a little bit of a history of the gifts that we've given to dads in years past. In 2008, which was our first year here, we were very happy and delighted to give all the fathers a brand spanking new pair of socks. And uh, the scripture was, uh, blessed are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace. And so all the men, they loved getting those socks. They loved it. The year after that, uh, I went to a, a sporting goods store, store somewhere closer to, I couldn't, I couldn't find what I was looking for. I finally found used hardballs. They were all scuffed up. They were a little dirty. And uh, we wrote on there, Mark 834, if you desire to follow the Lord, take up your cross and follow him. You know, follow after. And the theme was time to play hardball. Uh, then let's see, we had other, we had keychains with boxing gloves and the Rocky theme. We had little peewee footballs that I threw out from the, from the, from the platform. And uh, the scripture was from 1 Peter, always be ready to give a good defense of your faith. Uh, one year we gave out tomato plants. Uh, and it was not to be fruitful and multiply, although maybe some thought that. But it was really to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Uh, we had uh, flashlights, tire gauges, dog tags from the Army. Uh, one year, two years ago, we had Elmer's glue. Uh, the scripture was Hebrews ten twenty three, that you are the, the glue that keeps the unit together. Uh, but today we have a special gift as well. Uh, so the scripture for today... Is from 2 Samuel 24, uh, verse, 30, uh, verse 25, which is the last verse of Scripture in 2 Samuel. It says, David built an altar to the Lord. Well, David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So we have, for all, all the fathers, if you would mind standing up today, just all the dads stand up. We have a special gift for you. It is a bolt, a bolt and a nut with a little scripture card on it. It says, build an altar. This is to remind you that your job as a father is to build an altar in your, like David built an altar, build an altar to God. And, and pray and intercede for your family and trust the Lord that the plague will be withdrawn. The plague of the world will be withdrawn from your family. I want to give special recognition to Joe Nato. Joe, this is your first Father's Day, correct? Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You and Bethany and Silas, God bless you. I know you're a great dad already, but be reminded, Joe, build an altar. And it's your, your job now to build an altar. Those of you at home, if there's any dads at home, by the way, let us know. We'll make sure we save you one of these. But let us know today, write in the comments if you'd like one, um, a bolt and a nut uh, for you to be reminded to build an altar. So before you're seated, let me pray for you. Dear Father, Lord, we, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father, first of all. And I thank you, Lord, for all the fathers that are in church today. This is wonderful. This is good. This is as it should be. But, Lord, we do pray your blessing over our newest father and the oldest father, whoever that might be, the grandfathers, those that even are taking on the role of a father uh, to their kids or grandkids or other, someone else's children. 
We pray, Lord, blessings over the men that are fulfilling this role. Bless them, encourage them. Let them know that they're valuable and important in this day and age. We pray, Lord, for a good day for them and also for a good year of ministry to their families. And Lord, next year at this time, may, may all the men here be able to report, I built an altar in my home. I established a place where I pray for my family every single day. So thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I like the gift. I think it's a great... Oh, also, it has a little hook on it. You could hang it up somewhere or put it in your car, put it in your, on your dresser, put it somewhere, put it in your pocket <laughs> to be reminded that it's your job to build an altar. Amen. All right, well, take your Bibles, please. Uh, the Lord put a message on my heart today. Those of you at home, take your Bible or your Bible app. Turn with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I've entitled the message today, As a Father. As a Father. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because uh, Paul, in addressing the church here in Thessalonica, uh, finishes what he's saying uh, in verse 11. He says, as a father does his own children. So everything that he's saying is based upon his concept of what a father does or what a father is supposed to do. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 12, and then we'll get into the word. So, affectionately longing for you. God bless those grandparents. Come on. You know, God bless those grandparents. Affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, that we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. Father, Lord God, as we focus on the role of fathers today, we look to you as our heavenly father to give us the insights, give us the word, give us the guidance, give us the conviction we need, O oh God, to be the best fathers we could be and to be the best fellowship group that we could be as we, as we incorporate these principles into our church and into our homes. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach this message with compassion and conviction, and that you, Lord, would be pleased. You would be, you would be a happy father today when you hear your word being proclaimed. And that everyone that hears it, whether in church, whether young or old, man or woman, or those at home, would be encouraged and, 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 and edified because of your word working in their spirit today. So we thank you. We look forward to what you're going to do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, today is a day that we celebrate fatherhood. Uh, we honor our dads. Uh, we encourage all the fathers that are here, those on live stream today, 
to do the best you can to fulfill your role as a father. Your role is very important. We love and appreciate you, but you, you have the highest calling when you call yourself a father. I want to recognize my son, Jeffrey, uh, in Durham, North Carolina. He's the father of four. He's doing his best to raise a, a godly family down there. Um, it's, and I know it's difficult. When I meet young fathers today that are in their 30s, I, I have a son that age, and I understand some of the challenges in that, you know, at that time. So, Jeffrey, God bless you if you're on. also want to take a few minutes to remember my father. Uh, my father uh, is deceased. He, was, he, was, he died in 2005. His name was Pat Amendola. His official real name, birth name, was Pasquale. And I have some pictures here I wanted to share with you. Uh, some as a young man, that's my dad. He was in high school then, right before World War II broke out. And uh, this is my father in, in his later years playing the saxophone. He loved music and loved to play sax. Played until he was 80, 81 years old. He died at age 82. And uh, there's another picture. That, that's my dad getting ready for a big concert he was playing in down in New York City. That's in our, our home in the front yard in Rye, New York, wearing his tuxedo. That's my mom and dad. And a great picture there. And there's one more picture of them as a young couple. And uh, there they are. I think that was before they got married as they were courting in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, so my father, uh, he, le- he taught me well. He taught me how to work hard, how to provide for my family. He taught me to go to church. <laughs> and he leaves a legacy, uh, all my brother and uh, all the other, um, the nieces and nephews always remember Poppy saying, you know, love God, love your family. And he had a great love for music and for sports. And most of us have that same love today in our lives. I want to encourage everyone here to remember your fathers in a positive way. Think of something good that you can remember about your father. Scripture tells us that honoring your mother and father is the first commandment with promise, that if you do that, it'll go well with you. <clears throat> I, want, I want things to go well with me, so I want to honor my mom and dad. And it says that we will live a long life on the earth. That's Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. I also remember my two grandparents, my two grandfathers, uh, Rocco Felix Amendola was quite the character. I, I wish I could introduce you to him. He was about this tall and uh, had a personality that would uh, either make you laugh or make you angry. <laughs> he was a strong personality, but he loved his family. He loved his kids. He loved the wee grandkids. My other grandfather was uh, Joe Mack Warlick from Memphis, Tennessee. He, again, he was a strong personality. Both of these men loved their families and uh, they set a good example for their children, their grandchildren to follow. I'm enriched by their presence. I want to take a minute to play a song right now uh, to remember all of our dads. Uh, let me forewarn you, there's tissues up here if you need them. Uh, I kind of teared up when I first heard this song yesterday. I was going through some different songs. It's a song written by an artist named Luther Vandross that is now deceased. It's called Dance With My Father. And as the story goes, he wrote this song, and he recorded it, and 10 days later, he died of a massive stroke or heart attack. Uh, And so the the song carries on as a legacy of his relationship with his father, but I think it kind of gives a good message for all of us to think about our dads. So let's just take a few moments and listen to it. In Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church, 
If we go back to our text, verses 8 through 11, we see Paul is addressing the church with such fondness. Verse number 8, uh, he, 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 pre- he preached the gospel, but he gave them their lives. He gave their life. They were dear to them. And all this is in the context of as a father does his own children. And so as we look at this passage, we, we see qualities of a father. Uh, but before we go there, I want to go back into some uh, biblical examples of fatherhood. Uh, because I find it interesting that Paul is, is saying what a father should, you know, he, this is what a father does, um, as though the people understood what a father did. I find that today, many times, people come into church not knowing what a father is supposed to do. And so they learn from the Bible and they learn from examples in the Bible, what a father is supposed to be like. On on that note, uh, I want to mention also that no one has a perfect father. Can I get an amen? There's no, none of us had a perfect father and none of us fathers are perfect. There was only one perfect uh, father in the Bible. We find him in Genesis chapter three. And uh, we know that his children really disobeyed severely and we're still paying the consequences of that. So it may be time for some of us to let our fathers off the hook, maybe. Or maybe to bury the hatchet if we're holding something in our heart against our father. It may be time to allow the Lord to bring some healing in the relationship. But anyway, last Sunday, uh, Rebecca Ritchie preached a really great message from 1 Samuel chapter 1 about the story of Hannah. And in her message, she mentioned a few things about Hannah's husband, Elkanah. And I want to focus on Elkanah for just a few minutes because I, I can't prove this, but I think Paul is drawing his, his, his uh, view of a father from biblical examples in the Bible, in the Old Testament, or maybe in the New Testament. So Elkanah was, uh, was a, a godly man. If you want to turn there, you can, 1 Samuel 1 uh, verse number three, verses three and twenty-one tell us that every year, Elkanah would get his family together and bring them to the big festival in Shiloh. Remember, Rebecca had mentioned that when you study Deuteronomy and some of the other things in the Jewish family, there were actually three uh, important feast days every year that the fathers would get their families, pack them up and get them down to Shiloh to worship the Lord and bring sacrifices and have a great celebratory situation with all the families of Israel getting together. So from this, we could learn that a godly father is one that brings his family to church and teaches his family the things of God. You know, it was his role to, to do that. And uh, verse 21 in that chapter says it was time to get ready to go. It was his vow before the Lord to bring his family down there. And then we see another thing about Elkanah, 1 Samuel 1, verses 4 and 5. We see that he was a very benevolent person. He was a good provider for his family. Remember, he brought the, the meats from the, from the sacrifice that were left over. He brought them home. And, and then he you know, blessed his family with that. But Hannah, you may remember, received a double portion of that. And here we have Elkanah as a, as a godly man providing for his family, but being very sensitive to the needs of his family. He knew that she was going through a tough time because she couldn't have a baby yet. 
She was sad and distraught and all these things. And he wanted to bless his wife by giving her a double portion. So we could see that a godly father, a godly husband, will be sensitive to the needs of the family and give provision, you know, as he's able to provide, specifically for specific situations. And then thirdly, we see in 1 Samuel 1, verse 21, 22, 23, it was time for the, for the family to go to the big festival down in Shiloh. He got everyone ready to go. All the kids are there. The wives are there. Maybe some other family all ready to go, ready to make this journey to worship the Lord. They had their sacrifices ready to give. And Hannah says, I can't go. And Elkanah could have said, I said you're going. Now let's get going and get down there. We have to. He didn't put his foot down. He didn't demand anything. What he said was, and this is a blessing to his wife, do what you think is best. Oh, my goodness. He just elevated her about 100 feet. He gave her the the opportunity to make a godly good decision and he respected her for that this is an example of a godly father a godly husband and later on hannah did join him at the feast new testament i I thought of the example of joseph mary's husband Uh, we know a few things about joseph Uh, we do know that uh, he was a carpenter Many times we read Jesus was the carpenter's son. So he was a worker. He had a business. Uh, We read in Mark 6 that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. This is almost like like an unrecognized point that Jesus came from a large family. So Joseph was a provider for this large family. In Luke 2, we read that Joseph was aware of his lineage, his heritage, as being a, a part of the tribe of David. That's why he had to go to Bethlehem for the census. And uh, we read about him. When Jesus was 12, Joseph went to the temp- brought the family to the temple. Then we don't hear about him anymore. So the idea is that sometime after Jesus' 12th birthday, uh, Joseph probably died. Uh, But we see some qualities of him in Matthew chapter 1 that are worth looking at. So if you want to go there, you can. But in in Matthew 1, we see that when Joseph got the, 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 the word that Mary was pregnant, it says he was a just man. He was a good man. He was a man of integrity. He was, uh, he was honorable and respectful. He desired to do the right thing. And he didn't want to embarrass his wife. Remember when, when she was pregnant, uh, he thought, I'm going to put her away privately. And he was considerate and thoughtful, but he was spiritual. When the angel came to him, he believed what the angel said. He believed what Mary said. He believed the dreams that he had were a message from God. And he was a faithful, good provider as a carpenter, as a builder for his family. He taught his sons the trade. So I think that we could say that the story of Elkanah and Joseph and others in the Bible are are a good backdrop for what Peter is teaching here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Keep in mind, as I said before, that these qualities are being used in the church setting. Today, as I said, many people come to church to find out how a father is supposed to live and conduct himself. I don't want to get too into statistics this morning, but it's worth mentioning in my studies, I came across this figure that America 
uh, has a fatherless uh, rate of 34% of our homes are fatherless in our country, which is the highest uh, among countries where that was studied. So in our country, 34% of our families are fatherless and thank the Lord for other men that step into the role of a father in those situations. But this is the backdrop for many of our social issues, emotional problems, violence that we see today, much rebellion, even sickness is, is probably correlated through the fact that there's, a, there's an emotional void in many people's lives because of the lack of a father. So let's look at this scripture, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, I want to just go through the various verses and, and pick out some qualities that are important for a father to incorporate into their lives today. So verse number 8, the first quality that we see is that uh, Paul says, we were affectionately longing for you. You know, can I say it this way? It's important for fathers to be affectionate, to show affection, to show emotion to their children, to their families. Uh, dads are expected are, are supposed to show emotion. It's the issue of the heart, of the feelings, of the emotions. And it's okay, dads, to laugh and to cry and to play and to sing and to dance and to act a little crazy with our kids. I can remember many years ago when my number three, uh, Betsy, had asked me to watch a video with her. Anyone remember videotapes? Remember those things? You don't see them anymore, but we had videotapes, and I said, she was a little girl, you know, and I said, yeah, Betsy, I'd love to watch a video with you. So I put in the video, and I grabbed the newspaper. Anyone remember newspapers? Well, I used to read the newspaper before I read, read the internet. So I put in the video and read the newspaper, and, and Betsy says, Dad, and she just looks at me, little girl, looks at me like, and I got the message. I couldn't read the newspaper while I'm watching the video. She wanted an emotional attachment as we sat there and watched the video. I think there's a need in every child's life to know that their father is is connected, affectionate with them. Um, We need to show our affection. Uh, Our kids need to know that we long to be with them. We want to be with them. That our kids are not a burden. That our kids are good and and, 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 and we love them. They're valuable. So dads, show affection to your kids. It's important to do that. As we go through verse number 8, we see another trait. Uh, Paul says, uh, we gave you the gospel of God, but we also imparted our lives to you. We gave you our lives. It's so important to, for our kids to know that we're giving not only the gospel. Uh, we could give the gospel to our family and be uh, a tough taskmaster. But Paul says, we gave our lives to you. It's a whole other level of, of relationship when we give not only the gospel, but we give our heart, we give our lives to our children. And our kids need to know that we want to give them, a, uh, give our heart away. They need to know that we want to be with them. We want to share our lives with them. Elkina made tremendous effort every year, a couple times a year, to rally his family together to go on these trips to worship the Lord. It was more than worshiping the Lord. It was a family time. Joseph, it says each year, actually, in Matthew, each year the family would go to Jerusalem for the Passover. When Jesus was 12, 
he had that incident, but every year they would go. And we need to communicate to our families and to our children that I love you, I like being with you. This would include, for instance, trips to the store, trips to market basket with our kids. It could include uh, just eating together, getting a bite to eat, or playing together in the backyard or on the street or being together in some way. I can remember so well episodes with my father that um, had nothing to do with anything other than being together. We would go sleigh riding together. We used to go sleigh riding down this hill where we used to live. And we had a big sled. Remember sleds? Big sled and then little sleds. And we put the big sled out there and put the little sled on top of it like an airplane. And I would sit in the front. My father would sit in the middle. My two brothers would sit on the wings and my sister would sit in the back. We'd go down the hill. And I remember, I remember hugging, like getting close to my dad and being close to him. I remember kissing him goodbye when I was like 10, 11 years old, kissing him goodbye when I went off to school or whatever. Just being with him. So many times I had a catch with my father, football catch, just back and forth for an hour throwing the football. Dad, watch this, boom, having a catch with the baseball, just spending time, him sharing his life with me. I'll never, I'll always cherish that. And I've tried so hard to pass that on to my kids and my grandkids, as a matter of fact. In fact, Stacy sent me a video last night of Pop, that's me, uh, sitting with the Pips, that's her three kids, uh, Ava, Jack, and Ella. Probably, how old were they, Pam? They were, they were this is maybe five years ago. They're, they're 12, 11, and 10 now, so five years ago. And they're all sitting on my lap, all three of them. And I'm telling them this story about a dog in my life named Pepper that used to run down to the brook and, and uh, get wet. And I'd go running after the dog and get my sneakers wet. And Grandma Dola would get mad at me for coming back home with my sneakers wet. They were enraptured with my story. But they know that I like to be with them. And so this is important to, to spend time and let our kids know that we want to share our lives with you. It is the gospel, but it's, it's more than the gospel in that regard. Let's go on. We see in verse number 9 that when Paul said, when, when we went to you, uh, O Thessalonians, you remember how we worked, how we, how we uh, labored and toiled among you so that we wouldn't be a burden to you. Well, I, I would take that as far as this message goes uh, to say that we dads, I don't know about any other dads, I need to work at being a dad. And a granddad now. It doesn't come natural to be a dad. In fact, I thought it was something when I became a husband and I had to sacrifice what I wanted to do for my wife. And then I had kids and guess what? Oh man, that sacrifice just increased tenfold. And then another child, and then another child. And so, but we have to work at it. You know, we have to study, or not study, but, but be aware of the demands and the needs and the, the value of what we bring into the family. Uh, so we make sacrifices. We do things that we may not want to do. Joseph, when you read the story of Joseph, he was tempted to put her away. That would have been the easy way out. Let's put her away. Let her get pregnant over there in the hill country. No one will even know. He said, no, no, I can't do that. I've got to work this out. I've got to work this through. Elkanah would work at blessing his his wife, his family, his kids. So dads, listen, none of us, uh, I don't think, maybe, but I I didn't find it, are naturally good fathers. Maybe maybe some are. But I do know we have to work at it, be consistent with it, 
make it a, make it a, a work, a, a labor of love for our family, an investment. Then he says in verse number 10, he says, your witnesses and God also, how, how devout we were, how, how devoted we were. Um, they were, Paul is saying, we were faithful to you. We were, we were committed to the cause. We, we were not on a roller coaster with you. And dads, we can't be on a roller coaster with our kids at home either. We ha- our kids have to know that we're going to be there. We're not going to take off and, and act crazy. We're, gonna be, we're, we're, we're committed to the cause. We're sold out. We're in for the long haul. And uh, we're not going to be leaving home at any time. My my go-to scripture here is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. As we're devoted to God, I believe with all my heart, he'll give us fathers the insights and wisdom and guidance we need to be great fathers to our kids and great husbands to our wives. And then it says in verse number 10, you knew how just we were. We were devoted and we were just like Joseph. He was a just man. He desired to do the right thing. And fathers, we need to have a desire in our heart to do the right thing, even if it means, and it probably will mean, swallowing your pride, swallowing your personal uh, preferences for things, and going that extra mile to bless those kids. I can remember, and uh, I, I didn't think of that, this until right now, but I can remember I mean, right now, tattoos aren't a big deal in most families. But a while ago, they were a big deal. And they were a big deal in my family. And when my son, at 18 or 20, came back from his time in, in Phoenix with a tattoo, oh my goodness, I had to really get control of myself. And he, re- he told me, he said, Dad, very humbly, he said, Dad, it's my body. And I was fighting with myself. He was absolutely right. He could do whatever he wants with his body. And he did. (laughs) And he still does. But I had to work that through in my heart, in my spirit. I wanted to be a just... He knows I'm a a Christian. He knows I'm a pastor. How am I going to respond to this situation that I do not like? You know what I did? I swallowed it. I swallowed it. He knew, he knew how I felt. I just let it go. I said, there's bigger, as they say, bigger fish to fry than that. So I want to be a just person. And fathers, we need to be a just person before God. That will affect how we act with our kids. Then lastly, it says in verse number 10, it says that, that we were blameless. Now, I don't know that Paul meant like, you know, perfect. I think he meant that they were, they were they were clean, they were holy, they were pure, they had good motives, they were above reproach, they had a good reputation, uh, they, they were respected by everyone, they were trying their best to do the best thing among them. So we have all these qualities that, that and, and remember verse 11, as a father does his own children. So a father, I'm just looking at this, a father would be affectionate, a father would share his life with his kids, a father would work at it, A father would be devoted to the cause. And understand, being a father, can I tell you something? Being a father and a grandfather is way more important than me being a pastor. I'll be a pastor until I'm not a pastor anymore. I'll always be a father. I'll always be a grandfather. You know? 
So our role is so important. Devoted, just, and blameless. Covered by the blood as a father does his own children. I thought about these various qualities and wanted to encourage the, the men, to the fathers, to incorporate these qualities. But remember, Paul's saying this in the setting of a church. So everyone should have these qualities going on in the church as well. And then I thought of a, I thought of a movie that I love to watch and a little interaction between a father and a son. Uh, I'm going to show you a clip in just a second. But in this clip, what you don't see is the son... Uh, just got through telling his father a thing or two, uh, kind of rebuking his father, being upset with his father over different things. And what you're going to see is the father's response to his child. So let's run this clip. You'll recognize it right away when you see it. You ain't going to believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching. Every day was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame. Like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. Amen. Rocky captured a moment there, I believe. I want to focus on verse number 11 and uh, give you three things to take home today to really think about. What does a father do? How does a, what, after all that we just said and just saw, I want to give you three things to really focus on. But verse number 11, Paul says, and it, this is in the context, as a father, as a father does his own children, in verse number 11, you know how we exhorted you. Can I tell you something? A father exhorts his kids. Exhort. What exhort means to, uh, to encourage to commendable conduct, 
to do the right thing, to have high morals and high expectations. Don't settle. Don't settle for the norm. Go above the norm. Lift up our kids and help them to see their bright future, that they could go higher than we've ever been. I, Stacy and Dan were here at the early service, and I pointed them out. I said, Stacy, I remember when you went to college. Oh, I thought I was going to have a heart attack when she left home, but she would call home, and we, Pam and I would both encourage her, exhort her, you can do this, you can carry on. And then she went out to Master's Commission out in Phoenix, she's so far away from home, and she would call and be a little you know, concerned, and we would just exhort her, Stacy, you can do this, and you can make it through, and she did. Our kids need to know that their fathers are on their side, rooting for them, cheering for them. Positive words really do help. There's life and death in the power of the tongue. We know that. And to say to our kids, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. I remember when Jeffrey was little, he was a pitcher in the Little League and Babe Ruth League. And uh, he was a good pitcher. But some of the kids, he was, he wasn't, he, there were bigger kids than him at, at that time. I remember so many times saying to him, Jeffrey, you can do this. You're, you can do this. Come on. You can do this. And we would exhort them to do as best they could do. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, we, we read that Paul says to the church there, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we say to our kids, look, I'm, I'm living a Christian life. I'm doing my best. You can live a Christian life too. I exhort you. I encourage you. I, 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 I encourage you to shoot higher and follow my example. But you can do this. Having a good attitude really helps too. Because just saying the words doesn't always cut it if you have the wrong look on your face. So <laughs> Hebrews 10 tells us to, that God is faithful. Be steadfast in our faith. In other words, as we walk with God, as we're steadfast in our faith, let us consider one another and our children to stir up love and good works in them. But as our attitude is good, our disposition is good, we're, we're, we're encouraging and, and positive and helping our kids to, 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 to excel in whatever they want to do. 1 Timothy 6.2, Paul tells Timothy, teach and exhort these things to the others. Biblical principles, biblical standards. And so for the fathers... Uh, we're, we're telling our children to shoot higher, go higher, go higher than I ever did, but exhort the kids to go for their dreams, go for their, their ambitions, and to be the very best that they can. I could still hear in my father's voice when I used to play baseball. My father would always say, Ricky, you could do it. I still hear that in my mind, in my spirit. Ricky, you can do it. I, I can do it. My dad said I could do it, so I could do it. And so uh, that voice of the Father is so important for us, for our kids. The second thing we see in verse 11 is that, as you know how we comforted you, there's nothing better than the security of a loving and caring father that shows affection, as Elkanah showed affection to Hannah, and Joseph showed affection to Mary and the kids always emotional issues, heart issues, insights into the various needs that are represented in our families. Uh, when he told Hannah to stay at home, it's okay, nurse the baby, that elevated her so much. He comforted her, comforted the rest of the household. I'm always reminded of the story of the prodigal son on Father's Day. You know, 
That, that story is so powerful. The son went away, spent everything, and he decides to come back home, and he doesn't know what to expect when he comes back home. His father could be mad at him, punish him, you know, could really, you know, whatever. But he came home. He said, it's better if I go home than be out here where I am. So he comes home. And that father, the father blows everybody away because he didn't even rebuke the son. He comforted that son. My son, who was lost, now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. Give him a ring, give him a cloak, give him sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate, he's home. Hallelujah. He brought comfort to that boy's heart. So a father will, instead of, I'm not saying we can't reprimand and correct, we have to do that, but it has to be done in such a way that there's a comfort going along with it that will build up our children. The world is a mean place. I don't need to tell you that. There's enough sorrow and heartbreak out in the world. Our kids don't need to get that at home. A soft word, a gentle touch, a nice little meal together. Joseph saying to Mary, come on, Mary, I'll protect you. I won't let people belittle you. I'll shelter you. So dads, comfort your, your kids after a bad day at school. You know, we have a playground in the back here. And last couple of weeks, some kids from the neighborhood have made their way down. They found the playground. So they come down and they play in the playground quite often. Found out that they're friends with, uh, with my grandson, Jack. And I could tell by talking to them that they have a rough life. They have a different value system than I have. And I realized that when, when these kids go to school and they experience things at school with other kids, other families, their home environment, it's a difficult place for the most part. But we Christian fathers need to comfort our children and direct their steps. I'm trying to comfort these kids and give them some other things to think about. I invited them to church, and I hope that they could see there's a little bit dif- different way in how I approach them. But fathers need to comfort the kids and encourage them. Um, and if the, our kids have a conflict at school or conflict with their friends, they don't need more rebuke at home. The home must be a sanctuary. It must be a, a, pay, a place of peace. Not that anything goes, but the way that we discipline is, is, is different than the discipline of the world. One of the greatest ways a father can show comfort to his child is to listen to him. Just to listen to what they have to say. I can remember in my life when I was in college, I got into a little bit of trouble, uh, legal trouble. And uh, my father wanted to come down with me as I went to court. And so he, this was North Carolina, and so uh, I didn't know what he was going to do when he got down there. He could be a tough man. But I have to tell you, my father, he handled me right. He didn't yell at me. He already knew. He knew that I knew that I blew it. He didn't, he didn't need to emphasize that. But he stood with me. He, he went to the court with me. He stood there with the, the whole set, setting. And, uh, and I thought, wow, I thought maybe he might really, you know, really let me have it. But he comforted me. He didn't, he didn't agree with what I did, but he comforted me. He stood with me. I'll never forget that. So guess what? When my kids have gotten into whatever little thing they got into, I would draw on my example. My father stood with me when I had my problem. The least I could do was stand with my kids as they work out their problems. I encourage all the fathers, you know, 
uh, comfort your kids. They need a man that's, that's strong and sensitive both at the same time. And then the last thing we see in verse number 11 is that uh, Paul said, you know how we charged every one of you. We, we implored you. We, we, we made an earnest request that you would continue on with your faith. We challenged you. We strongly encouraged. We urgently encouraged you that now is the time for you to get this right. Again, that prodigal son's father, what a great man this person was. You know, the son had a, had a brother, right? The older brother. The older brother refused to come to the party. And so what does the father do? Now everyone's festive and celebrating. The younger son is home, praise God. And the the older son's out there brooding, jealous, angry. And what does the father do? The father says he goes over there, he implores the son. He challenges the son. He, He charges him, come on, it's good that you come and celebrate. He was, your brother was lost, now he's doing the right thing. Come celebrate with us. In the same way, we are to implore our children to do the right thing. Hopefully that older son did come. We don't know the rest of that story. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll find out. But we can implore our children to do the right thing. We can't make them do anything. But we could set them in the right direction and and pray for them and hope for the best. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Paul uh, gives this little admonition to the Corinthians that you are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through you to those on the outside. I implore you, be reconciled to God. That same urgency is now applied to in a family setting where a father would implore their children to follow God, to do the right thing, to shoot for your dreams, go for it with all that you have. A father is a, is a great cheerleader of sorts, challenging the, the children to go forward. So dads, charge your kids to do well, to do right, to follow the Christian way, to go higher than you. And your children need to hear your voice and see your face and know your mannerisms, that when you mean business, you mean business. They need to know their father. So in conclusion to all of this, let's keep this in mind. In verse number 12, the whole point is, look at verse number 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The whole thing is you could take this message and say, okay, a father is a cheerleader and an exhorter and an encourager and all this good stuff. But if, if the bottom line is if we don't direct our kids to God, we're just like a father in the world a good father in the world. Bottom line is, we hope our kids will run with the Lord. I always say, I know Pam doesn't like when I say this, but when I die, or if we get raptured, this is off the table, but if I die, my greatest thing that I'm going to leave behind will not be my money and my guitars and all this and that. The thing I leave behind is my faith. I hope to God, I pray to God, my kids will take up the mantle and walk with the Lord for the rest of their days. I hope that my my influence on my grandkids will make a difference in their lives, that they too will walk with the Lord. That's my greatest legacy. We can be great fathers and do all the right things and leave out this one important element. When Paul said, we gave you the gospel and we gave you our lives, well, a lot of fathers forget about the gospel part. That's the most important, but it can't be out of balance. 
Because some fathers, that's all they do is jam it down their throat and the kids don't know their father's heart. And that's not right either. We need to do both. But the bottom line is, what we're doing is trying to set the table that our kids have the greatest opportunity and possibility to take that mantle of faith and live their life for Jesus for the rest of their days. Oh, I, I, I know the challenges. I know all the challenges of raising a family. And can I tell you something, too? I see Jason, young father, and, 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 uh, and Joel, different ones. I, you never stop being a father. I'm still a father. My kids still call me dad, even though they're old. My grandkids call me pop, or papa bear, or poppy. <laughs> but it, you, it, it never stops. I always want to be faithful to this high calling of being a dad. You all know Stacy. She's our firstborn. She still hugs me, calls me daddy. That's precious to me. Got a text from Betsy this morning. Happy Father's Day. Got a gift for you. Oh, great. Jeffrey, I love you, Dad. I miss you. Looking so forward to spending some time with Jeffrey in September. We're going to go down for a week or two, see him and his his kids. So I just want to encourage everyone as we conclude this. Let's see. We are exhorting. We are... uh, comforting, we are imploring or charging our kids so that they would have a walk worthy of God, right? Verse number 12. And in the setting of the church, we all have this role that we play. Some of the older men might play the role of a spiritual father. I know I play that role for many people. I'm a spiritual father. But many of you will play the role of a spiritual father. Some of our families don't have fathers at home. And so some of the men of the church take on the role of being a spiritual father. So let's, uh, let's say that verse number 12. It says uh, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Can we say that together? That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he says, do all these things as a father... Say it again, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. As a father, one more time, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What benefit us if we gain the whole world and lose our soul or lose the souls of our children? Benefits nothing. Every head bowed for just a moment. Just want to take a little time to pray. I wonder if there's any, any father here that wants prayer to be a better dad. That's me. I want to be a better dad or granddad. I wonder if there are some here that uh, want prayer for your father, whether he's alive or deceased, because there's an uncertainty, there's a hurt, there's an issue there that you want God to heal in your heart. Anyone like that at all? Yeah, a lot. I wonder if there's some that are that are saying, but Pastor Rick, I'm not a dad, and I want to be a dad one day. Anyone here that wants to be a dad one day? Yeah. All right. So let's go to the Lord. Father, I know this is a a delicate subject for many because of the hurts, because of the lack of a father figure, because of error or mistake or sin 
in our families. I know that. But Lord, I also know that your word is the trump card. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And that you take care of those hurts as we surrender them to you. It may take a lifetime, but Lord, today we want to surrender those hurts to you and those issues, those unresolved issues of conflict with our fathers. We pray, Lord, that whether our fathers are dead or alive today, that we would remember something good about them. Lord, for those fathers that are living today, we pray, we pray blessings over them. I pray, Lord, that the church, as we make our way out of here, that some way this afternoon we would either give a call or a text or a visit just to say, Happy Father's Day, Dad, I love you. Just to, as a Christian person, make that first step if, if necessary. Father, I pray for the fathers that are here. I'm one myself. I know the challenges. I know the challenges of being a grandfather. I know the challenges of seeing our, our kids make decisions that we wouldn't make. But yet we're still here. We're still standing here as fathers. Give us the wisdom, Lord. We need great wisdom and guidance to say the right thing, do the right thing, respond the right way, have the right look on our face, the right body language as we fulfill our role as a father. Lord, help us to remember that our role never stops, really. It never stops. It may change. And Lord, for those that are now grandfathers, we pray that that role would be really special and we'll take that responsibility to be a great, great grandfather to our kids. And Lord, for those in the church that are not a father, but they have aspirations that maybe one day they will be a father. I pray that this sermon will be helpful for them as they think of the responsibilities involved. I want to pray, Lord, for men and women that have been affected by their fathers, that some way, somehow, we'll put it into, into a good place and remember positive things, heal the hurts, and help us to remember positive things. So, Lord, ultimately, my prayer, Lord, is that we as a church would take on the role of spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and bless other people as they come into the church so that they also may have a walk worthy of God. I pray, Lord, that we would take that mantle and become spiritual fathers to those around us. So, Lord, thank you for this time. We pray your blessing over every father. We pray your blessing over the rest of this day and the rest of this year as we fulfill our role as fathers. But thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And Lord, we give you the praise, you the glory, you all the thanksgiving, because you are the wonderful Heavenly Father that we all have. So we thank you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. And amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. Uh, have a good Father's Day. Those of you at home, God bless you. Send us a note. Uh, if you'd like to get one of those Father's Day gifts, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. God bless you. Have a good day.